Yes, absolutely delighted to have former Celtic player Niall McGinn on the podcast. Niall, how are we? I'm all good, thanks. How are you? You okay? Very well, yeah. Really delighted to get you on and to hear some of those stories about your time at Celtic and maybe some, some other bits as well about your career because it's been, it's been some career you've had, Niall. Um, just to, to start off with, just to kind of give fans an update of where you're at just now, you're, you're back home and, and scoring plenty of goals at the moment. Yeah, back back in uh, back in Ireland again. Uh, it's been probably a whirlwind sort of 15, maybe, yeah, 14, 15 years of, of being across the water in, in Scotland and uh, England, also Asia for a quick six months. But all in all, I think, uh, yeah, most of my career has been in Scotland, which I've absolutely loved. I've always... Even when I went to Asia, like straight away, I couldn't wait to get back to Scotland because because of just just how uh, just how much the fans just love the game in Scotland. Uh, no matter sort of what team you're playing for, they always travel up and down the country. So now looking back uh, to where things were and and just sort of how things ended, of of uh, I've obviously played for for some big teams and no sort of no bigger team than obviously Celtic. Yeah, that's where I kind of want to start. Obviously, I want to hear all about your your time at the club. Um, but I'm actually interested in a little bit about before you signed for Celtic and kind of trying to make it as a as a professional footballer because I was reading that you maybe weren't sure back in Ireland if you were going to make it and you were doing some studying at the time as well. So those kind of like later years, your kind of later teenage years, did you think you were ever going to make it as a, as a player? If I'm being honest, I never thought too much about, uh, yes, uh, being a professional footballer. I, I was just a young lad just growing up and just enjoying Gaelic football and enjoying, uh, obviously, soccer as well. So uh, I was just playing Gaelic, playing soccer. I was doing all my studies at school. Uh, I went to college in, in, in Belfast. I, I was studying the studying sport, a sport and leisure management course uh, to try and become maybe a, a PE teacher. It was actually the same course my, my PE teacher was doing at the time. So... I was sort of going to go down that line. Uh, I was still only playing part-time football with Dungannon Swifts. And then, uh, just ironically, Stephen Kenny happened to get in touch, who's now obviously the Republic of Ireland manager, and he approached me to, to obviously sign for Derry City. And then things sort of got a wee bit more serious then. Once they sort of initially showed an interest, that they wanted to sign me, and it was an opportunity for me to become a professional footballer. And you know nowadays, it's, it says like a 0. 0.00 or 0... 0.001% chance of actually becoming a professional footballer. So when that opportunity arose to me, I just jumped at the chance. And yeah, it was, uh, now it was one I, I didn't have to think too much about it. Uh, I just jumped at the chance and yeah, the rest was history then. Would you have been able to make that as a Gaelic footballer? Were you good? Yeah, look, my friend, my best mate who lives in San Francisco, uh, James McCann, uh, he's my Irish mate from back home, but he's been in San Francisco now for 10 years and he always cheeked uh, cheeks and tones about the prospect. He, he he's always said to me, "I probably would have been one of the best players in Ireland at, at Gaelic." So I don't know whether to believe him or not, but I knew myself. I was I was talented at Gaelic, and uh, now who knows what would have happened if I had went down that line. But you see and you hear of uh, different soccer players who who were always good Gaelic players, and uh, probably Seamus Coleman was one, and and different other players as well. So. No, yeah, I think I would have I made a good career out of the Gaelic, but all in all, I would have been having to, to find sort of a job to, to keep me going from nine to five during the day as well. Yeah, because most young people, if they're into the football, they'll have dreams of 
lifting a World Cup, lifting a Champions League, all those different types of things. Were you more focused in lifting a, an All-Ireland or was it always kind of football that you were kind of going back towards? I really enjoyed both of them, being honest. I was uh, I, I played from a county, a minor level. I played for Tyrone at the under-21s and then I was actually under a bit of pressure. So Tyrone played uh, Donny Gall the, in the opening of the lights of Croke Park, which... Croke Park is a, a massive stadium in Dublin. It, feel, it holds 80,000 people. So I had sort of that in the back of my mind because the manager, Tyrone, at the time, he, he phoned me on numerous occasions and he, he'd said to me, look, give me the opportunity to play under the lights, Croke Park, from the 80,000 people uh, opening the lights. So that was in the back of my mind. I always wanted to play in Croke Park, but at the same time, I've been offered a three-year contract at Derry City to, to go full-time and it's something you love doing and you're going to be doing it every day. You're getting under your bed, you're going training every day, you're you're becoming a professional footballer. So as I weighed everything up, uh, no, I definitely went down the, the right way. Yeah, and then that time at, at Derry City, let's kind of move into to that and then the move to Celtic because that was a really successful period for the football club. You mentioned you're managed by Stephen Kenny, now the, the Public of Ireland manager. So at the end of that season, there's a lot of rumours about your future and where you might end up and you end up signing for Celtic eventually in the December of 2008. When did you first start hearing about Celtic and what was it about the club that made you want to sign? Because there were quite a lot of clubs interested, weren't there? Yeah, <clears throat> Mage and uh, Jerry Carlisle, he was very good with me that season in the, in the aspect of like he just allowed me to get on with my football and I think that's important as well because nowadays you maybe get people maybe too involved with players and get into players' ears and clubs here interested and clubs there are interested. So he was good in the aspect of he just allowed me to go enjoy my football. Uh, I remember walking in the Derry City and one of the first play players I seen with a big fuzzy head was was Paddy McCourt and uh, obviously I didn't know Paddy at the time and stuff. But once you got to know him and, and seen how he was, like my first six months at Derry were were brilliant. Even get to see Paddy live and how good he was. Uh, straight away I knew there was obviously talk of him and stuff and then six months into being at Derry City that's when obviously Paddy ended up signing for, for Celtic and then there was me playing at Derry City like I, I would never have thought in a million years like six months later I would I would obviously be following in Paddy's footsteps but all in all there was clubs interested I remember I went to Swansea to watch Swansea and Cardiff and I actually met Roberto Martinez he came to the hotel after the match I was at the stadium and I met him as well so that was probably uh, my main place of I was going to go. There was never no talk of Celtic at this stage, so that was grand. Uh, I went back home, spoke to my family, and I was like obviously speaking about a chance to go to Swansea here after having such a, a great first year in the, the Aircom League. I, I was a young player of the year that season. It was just a brilliant season for me, my first year full-time football. So that was grand. Everything was swaying towards Swansea, and I was in the house one night, and uh, my agent phoned me, and he's like, right where are you and I was like I'm in the house he's like right I'll be there in such and such 15-20 minutes so he says oh, Neil Lennon's been on the phone <clears throat> Celtic want to sign you so straight away I was like wow like this is this is unbelievable this like I've grown up I've watched Celtic uh, I've been across watching Celtic games I remember when Alan Thompson scored the winner the 1-1-0 one, one uh, ended actually the same goal that I scored my first goal into so it was just uh it was crazy back then, like you were going to cross the watch Celtic and there's obviously that bit of rivalry between Celtic and Rangers fans. You were getting on the boat, you were going to cross, but you always had to hide your colours, etc. just in case you, you didn't know who you'd bump into. But now once uh, my agent phoned me and said, look, he lands on the phone, that just sort of excitement straight away was, was, was unbelievable. 
So is that a bit of a kind of dream come true moment then when you get the call to say it's Celtic they want to sign you having been such a big fan in the club? Yeah, straight away it's just sheer excitement. Uh, I think when you're sort of living in Northern Ireland, it's yes, you have people who support your your Man United, your Liverpools, your Chelsea's, Arsenal's, but I know how massive it is back home with, with people uh, supporting uh, the Rangers and Celtic, and me growing up sort of being a an Irish lad from from around the GA community, who's a lot were sort of a lot of people who who would have followed Celtic, so to have that opportunity of even following in Paddy McCourt's footsteps six months later for me to sign for Celtic six months later was was just a whirlwind sort of a year for me if, you, if you'd like to say. So you signed in December 2008, you didn't officially come in until the, the January uh, 2009, so most people would probably be out celebrating or getting themselves ready to make the big move across, but I read that you were doing stuff a little bit differently back in Ireland, you were still doing some work, is that right? Yeah, definitely. I remember uh, I flew across to Celtic and I, I signed and then it was sort of December I'd signed and then I wasn't moving across to January. So like me being me, just sort of getting on with things, I was just uh, like obviously I was playing Gaelic and stuff before. I was doing a few bits and jobs, like I had maybe three jobs at the time to try and make as much money as I possibly could to uh, survive of, of being a student. So now after I signed for Celtic, I was actually back home and my local car wash that I worked in for two years. I actually, back in the car wash, I was helping out. And like, it's a bit crazy to think now that sort of there's you about to sign for one of the biggest clubs in the world and you're you're just back home and you're you're helping your, your friends out or colleagues out and you're you're working in the car wash again. And who, who, who's to know that you're you're about to move across to obviously the big fishbowl in Glasgow to, to sign for sort of your boyhood heroes in, uh, in, in a few weeks' time. So now it's a wee bit surreal, but at the same time, I was always brought up with the, the mindset of sort of don't get too high and don't get too low, but how can you not get too high sometimes with, with the opportunity of signing for Celtic? So straight away, and I had sheer excitement, back working in the car wash to earn a few more quid for, for me going over to, to obviously Celtic in the January transfer window. You come in then in that January. I'm always really interested to hear about people's first memories and impressions when they go in, particularly when they're kind of making that step up to a club like Celtic. You hear so many people talking about the environment, how different it is, the playing standard and things. So take us back to your first memories of when you first came into the club. Nah, just, I, even even when I was going to sign, just driving up to Celtic Park, like I've obviously been there for games and stuff, and even to later date, like big European nights. But when I was sort of like you're going when you're going there for like a different reason, if you're you're actually signing for this for football club, is is pretty surreal. So I was more or less, if I'm being honest, I, I was sort of signing as a, like a development player to go on like and try and force my way in the first team. I wasn't straight away like I knew straight away I wasn't gonna go walk straight in the first team. I'd I'd only one year of professional football behind me. Things were good and. They were signing me sort of as a prospect that sort of potentially break my way into the first team. So now straight away, you're me sort of being from where I'm from, like I was always sort of I was always sort of into my cars and stuff. I like my cars and uh, like driving up to the car park to see all the fancy cars. You walk in the change room, you see obviously all these people. Like you're seeing these people on TV, but when I actually see them in real life and the characters that you come across and you're like a wee bit yeah, if I'm being honest, a wee bit sort of starstruck even when I first met Lee Lynn as well, you, you, you sort of, you see these people over the years and you obviously being sort of from similar backgrounds to, to sort of meet these people and see these people in person. It's, it is a wee bit surreal, but I remember even when I first started training with the first team and 
like seeing the likes of Nakamura in the in the wee small side of boxes, McGeady, and just just how talented these boys were, and it was just unbelievable. And yes, as I said, I was always in the cars, and I always hounded like Scott Brown, McGeady. They'd always sort of nice cars, so they used to always allow me to, to take their cars for a spin. I remember Brownie had a Porsche, and Aiden had a Aston Martin at the time, and they always used to allow me because I knew I was just sort of always into my cars and stuff, and they always allowed me to take their car for a wee drive around Lennox time, which was good. I hope you always brought them back in one piece. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If I didn't, uh, if I wasn't bringing them back in one piece, I wouldn't have been back, that's for sure. There's big characters in that, that changing them. So for a young guy coming in, you must have seen so much at that time that must have been a bit of an eye-opener. Yeah, no, when I, when I first moved in, I was sort of in the development squad, so I was in a separate changing room for them, but it was always, like, you're always a wee bit intimidated, even from the likes of John Clark being the kit man and stuff. You're always afraid to ask them for a pair of socks or a pair of shorts. But uh, I was quite lucky I had the likes of Paddy, who was there, who, who knew at Derry City, and he helped me settle in very well. But even when I first moved into the change room the first time, it was just crazy. Like, there was obviously a lot of Irish contingent there. You had Anthony Stokes, you had obviously Darren O'Day, Paddy McCourt. So I was quite lucky in the sense of, of I got to sort of gel in very quickly as well. So... You're uh, you're moving in that change room full of obviously high profile players who've played the top level, Champions League, have won championships, have won leagues and cups and everything. So to come into sort of that environment and of them characters was was pretty pretty surreal. Yeah, and that when you first came in, you mentioned you were kind of more in the development reserve side, but that reserve team had some really good players, some really good characters as well. Ryan Conroy, Simon Simon Ferries, yourself. Paddy, I know a lot of the first-teamers would have been in, involved as well in certain games. What was that dressing room like? And was there quite a few characters in there with some good stories? Yeah, Paul McGann was, was a madman. Uh, and obviously, I've got to bump into Paul McGann again at Dundee there recently. So, uh, I've, uh, I was a wee bit surprised. Yes, he's still mad, but I was a wee bit surprised how how, how more, more of a calmness he has about him now. I think that's obviously meeting his missus and... And uh, sort of, he actually got engaged there recently, so that sort of calmed him down a bit. Now, but he was a, he was a mad character. I think uh, one of the stories that stand out for Paul McGann is we were away on the, we were away. We used to go to them Hong Kong tournaments, or and, and when we were younger, Celtic, we actually got beaten the final by Aston Villa. Uh, now we had a really good team then, as you said, Simon Furry, Paul McGann, Michael McLinchy, you had, you had Danny Lafferty, who was a boy from Derry at the time, Irish boy, and you'd. Killian Sheridan was there as well, and you had Paddy, who always sort of played for the development squad at times as well. But even going to the likes of Ibrox, and you're playing in front of seven, eight thousand people and stuff like that. But yeah, back to Paul McGann. So, probably the main story that stands out for me is probably not the greatest story, but we're just in Hong Kong, we're out having a few drinks, and guys are being guys are just being mad. Like, we're in the bar, and there's like a big, nah, big open bar, and that yeah, was grand. We're just having a drink, enjoying ourselves, and we turn around, and guys are away. What's he doing? He's away over to jump randomly on top of a taxi, <laughs> just just dancing like a madman on top of a taxi. And then we obviously had to get him back again. But he was that type of boy. You just sort of, you always sort of need to have him on the leash. Uh, but now the boys were always first class to me. To be fair, I I settled in very quickly uh, into that change room and, and played a lot of football. And then once the opportunity to, came to to go into that first team was was now was just surreal for me to be honest. <laughs> that's brilliant and yeah kind of getting into the first team then it's not until the following season where you make your debut I think it was a one each draw against Dundee United at home in the September so that was Tony Mowbray's era as Celtic manager so what kind of changed for you 
over that summer to make you go from the development reserves into the first team and then end up having a really good season? Uh, straight, straight away, like I was obviously had a had a good sort of six months with the development squad. I was playing, scoring a few goals, just sort of enjoying my in my football. And uh, Willie McStay and Danny McGrain were brilliant for me. That they helped me a lot. Uh, but I knew obviously sort of towards that end of that season. I I travelled a couple of times to the first team to sort of get that wee bit of experience under under Gordon Strachan. And I remember obviously Tony Mowbray got the 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 job. So straight away I'm thinking there's a huge opportunity here. New managers coming in. Uh, so maybe a clean slate for everyone. So I was, I, I was in the mindset of just have a good pre-season, work hard, and, and hopefully I, I, I get the opportunity. So I went in and uh, I knuckled down, uh, worked hard. And I remember getting a phone call on the Friday night before the, the Wembley Cup tournament. Celtic had just played on the Friday night. And I remember getting a phone call after the game, the first game, saying uh, yourself and uh, I think it was Paul McGowan and Ryan Conway, I think these boys are, are coming down to, to be in the squad for the Tottenham game on the Saturday. So... That was my first real eye-opener of actually getting a chance to play in the first team. So I went down on the Saturday morning. Who would have thought in a million years I'd be coming on and sort of making my, my debut for Celtic, uh, not my compad or my debut for Celtic at, at Wembley against Tottenham. And it was just unbelievable. And then I think I think it was two couple of weeks later, my second game was at the Addy Hat against Man City. So two nice sort of stadiums and teams to sort of have your first couple of games against, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember that Spurs game... I think we we beat them, didn't we, two 0 And uh, you know they had like Luka Modric and things in that team. So if you if you were to say to yourself, eighteen months before that, playing for Derry City, you're going to make your debut for Celtic at Wembley against these guys, would you have been able to believe that? Definitely not. And I've always spoke about. It. I think it was just like it was like a whirlwind. Probably two years I went from playing in front of. 60, 80 people to 100 people at Dungan Swift and then making a like, competitive debut in front of 60,000 at Celtic Park and it was just unbelievable and I remember I was away at international uh, football and uh, I got a phone call from Tony Mowbray it was obviously the time I was about to make my competitive debut he phoned me up he said look uh, I think I had a game on the Wednesday for Northern Ireland and he said look you're going to start on Saturday Aidan McGeady suspended and straight away I was just nervous excited Straight away, telling my family, look, I'm, I'm making my competitive debut on Saturday. So obviously, family were going to fly over and stuff and, and, and see me. So although we didn't win the game, it was just a, a nice game to be involved in, like a man and match, etc. So uh, now things, on a personal note, just went from strength to strength. And I played a lot of games, started a lot of games. but And, and when I wasn't playing, uh, I was always felt like I was like maybe the first, second or third sub that I was always going to come on. So now I played a lot of football under Tony Mowbray and I can only thank him for that. And... Team wise, it just wasn't a great season, but personally, on a on a personal note, uh, now it was it was very good for me. Yeah, I just want to touch on a couple of those other milestones from that season for you. You, you talked about your first start, perfect start really for you in terms of getting man the match, and then your first goal as well. Talk us through that experience. I think it was a three 0 win against Kilmarnock. I'm always interested to hear people's memories of their first goals. Yeah, no, I just remember uh, the ball was played inside. I think it was from Andres Hinkle at the time, and. Uh, the ball just set up nicely for me and I've, I've just hit it and it just went into the corner and straight away you're just straight over to the fans and you're like, wow, is this sort of moment just happened? Uh, any sort of club you go to, you always sort of want to hit the ground run. You want to score goals if, if, if you can and create chances. But when you're at a club that you support as a young boy and to have that opportunity of, of pulling on that jersey. And I've always said this, you don't realise, yes, you know Celtic are a massive club, the history and... How, how sort of worldwide they are. I was uh, 
you don't realize how big Celtic are until you actually play for them. Uh, the opportunities that I had, and I sort of was always the type of player that, that I sort of thought I made the most of actually being Celtic for regarding like going to different events, meeting people, doing things. Like I went to Vegas, the Vegas convention in, in Las Vegas. I went to like the convention in, in Santa Pons and actually to be able to socialize with fans and, and be there as like a current player was, it was just unbelievable for me to be honest. And I loved it. And uh, yeah, I definitely sort of made the most of sort of being the Celtic and using that. It's just obviously a few injuries along the way. Like the very last training session of that season under Tony Moby, that's when I, I broke my fifth metatarsal, so timing of injuries and stuff just didn't go in my way. But look, I, I lived the dream, and I was there for for what two and a half years, and no one can ever take that away from me. I know I was going to mention that it must have been so brutal for you because you had such a good first season. You scored more goals. I remember a, a screamer you scored against Hamilton and Boxing Day here at Celtic Park, and then to to get that injury. So then going into that next season, Neil Lennon takes over as manager. Was that difficult for you, trying to then re-establish yourself and coming back from that injury? I think so. No, it just sort of, I remember like the season finished and then we're, we're back training for like one or two days before we went and played St. Pauli in a pre-season friendly and that's when I broke my fifth metatarsal. So, no, I was devastated and then obviously that was going to set me back about three months. But I knew it was sort of Lanny bringing me to the club, helped me bring me to the club, uh, helped me in the sort of development squad that look, hopefully I have a, another chance here of, of, of playing and no, I, I actually had a brilliant start, to be fair. I came back after my injury and Lanny started me twice in one week against uh, St. Johnson. I scored I scored uh, the first goal on uh, my first game back and then I scored two goals. I was in the cup game. I scored two goals in the league game, like maybe three or four days later, both at McDermott Park. So now I came straight back in, hit the ground running, feeling good. I uh, scored a few goals and I was playing quite a bit. And then, you know, with Celtic, just players sort of come and go and players like he, that January transfer window, he obviously brought in different players. I think Chris Commons was one of the main ones who just came in and he was just absolutely flying. And that's football for you. You just sort of end up maybe going down the packing order and these things happen. We James and Forrest coming on the scene, he was he was absolutely brilliant. So uh, just a wee bit of luck that maybe wasn't in, in going my way at the time with maybe injuries and different things. And uh, yeah, that's football for you. These things happen. And then... Uh, but it wasn't down to the case of Neil not wanting me because I remember when I came back from uh, South Korea, like Lenny was was on the major and he wanted to sign me for Hibs again. And I actually went to Hibs training ground to meet Neil Lennon to, to have the opportunity of, of signing for, for Hibs. But I, I obviously ended up signing for Aberdeen again. And uh, that just showed you that sort of he always did like me as a player, etc. And I was always pleasing to hear. And uh, now, Look, can you change things? No, but all in all, I, I was at Celtic and I played for them for, for two and a half years. And as I said earlier, that'll always live you for probably the rest of your life that you had the opportunity of actually playing for, for one of the biggest clubs in the world. Yeah, because that season under under Neil Lennon, I think in the, the summer brought in a lot of players. It was a, kind of a bit of a rebuild of the squad. You mentioned the January as well, competing with Chris Commons, James Forrest, you, you mentioned. What sort of players kind of stood out to you in that Celtic era, and particularly maybe a, a word in James Forrest because obviously still at the club and doing doing amazing. Nah, James was James was unbelievable. Man, was a young lad just coming on the scene, just pace, uh, fastness, just just playing my freedom. And once you ha- once you know you have the backing of the manager, like Lenny loved him at the time, and once you know you have the backing of the manager, I think that always helped him, and he always played. And yes, uh, 
a small maybe minority of fans maybe never appreciated him like in his latter years, but he's still showing even till today, like scoring hat tricks and, and still being part of a very, very good Celtic squad just now, how, how well he's done. And now he he deserves enormous credit for, for how he's handled himself over the years, playing at the highest level and consistently being so good. Uh he's obviously had a lot of injuries as well, but to come back and from, from different injuries and, and keep playing to the the levels that he has done is, is unbelievable. And now he was I just knew straight away once I seen him for the first couple of times how, how good he how good he was and how good he can be and uh nah, credit to him for, for having a, a brilliant career. Yeah, but at the end of that season, now you, you moved to Brentford on loan and then after that obviously you started your journey with Aberdeen, which you've had such, such a successful time there. Just to touch on the time when you left, was it just a case of leaving to get more minutes and to play more football? Yeah, it was just uh it was just obviously it was tricky because you're you're playing here and there and you're not really playing that consistently and I think uh, Brentford definitely stood me in good stead to go on and, and sort of prolong my career for as long as I have done just now so uh, to get out and play like maybe 40 odd games that season it, it definitely stood me in good stead to obviously, obviously go to Aberdeen and I think it's always a difficult one for any player see when you leave a big club like Celtic uh, like the amount of players that sort of come through the door at Celtic and leave and maybe sort of go on to have like good careers or some players go on to maybe sort of maybe drop the level. But for me to go to Brentford, enjoy that season, play a lot of football and then to sort of go to another big club in Aberdeen in Scotland was, was massive for me and to sort of prolong my career at Aberdeen for as long as it did. Constantly getting the sort of semi-finals and finals, constantly playing in Europe. Even for us to finish above uh, Rangers twice in uh, the first couple of seasons that they came up was a massive achievement for us. And for us to sort of have the team that we did and the even to win that League Cup at Celtic Park was, was unbelievable as well. So now for me to sort of maintain my long stay in the game at a very good level was, was pleasing for me. And thankfully, I went on to have a, a very successful career at Aberdeen. Yeah, you really did have a, a brilliant career at Aberdeen. And one other part of your career I wanted to ask you about, and I think it's applicable now because Celtic have just signed a player from Korea. It's about your time in Korea. And we had one of our fans uh, sending a question for you, Timothy Leary, asking you, what you made to the, the standard in Korea? No, straight away, like I've always said, the standard was very, very good. The, the South Korean, like the players, they're they're so dedicated. They, they could get up every morning. Like they just like socializing together, doing everything together, eating together, walking. Like they're up in the mornings at like seven o'clock. They go for a walk around the training ground together, just chitting and chatting and just obviously speaking about different things, but always wanting to do extra, always wanting to improve. But I just sort of get the impression that they're just they're so dedicated, they just love football. And even for me coming from this side of the world over to them, like they were sort of intrigued how like European football was and obviously the the seeing different things from social media for myself, like playing for Celtic or playing for big clubs in the world, and they were like excited about it. And the thing is with South Korea, it's it's always difficult for them to maybe move across to Europe because they have to do the military and stuff, which is obviously uh, compulsory for them. Key, obviously, Ki Sung Young and uh, Hong Min Son are they they got out of it with with obviously doing well in the I think the Olympic Games or something. They, they obviously got a medal. But now nah, the whole move how it came about was was crazy because obviously I played with Ki Sung Young at Celtic and his dad was the president of the football club. So like Ki Sung Young's father, like they're just so like the people are just so nice. But for Ki Sung Young's father to fly from South Korea to Belfast to meet me in person. For a couple of days along with the South Korean agent was was pretty special and really pretty surreal and that probably made my decision for me to, to go out here and just experience it but 
yeah, as I said, like standard was, was very good. The the facilities were excellent. The stadiums were good. They're all built for the 2002 World Cup. So now regarding Celtic, obviously making signings from obviously the, the J League and now obviously South Korea, the A League, etc. It's just, it's a market that obviously the the manager knows a lot about. And uh, for me playing in the, in the South Korean League, I, I, I definitely know how, how talented some of the boys are. And now hopefully the, the players obviously go on to have a successful time at, at, at Celtic. Brilliant, yeah. Now, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I just want to end on some quick-fire questions from your time at Celtic. So we'll run through a few of them. You can be as quick as you want, but if you've got a good story, then we're always here for it. Um, first of all, who's the biggest joker in the changing room? Uh, there's a few, but Paddy was always a big joker. Scott Brown as well. I've been lucky enough to obviously play with Scott Brown at Aberdeen and, and Celtic, but for people who don't know Scott Brown, they probably think of a different type of character on and off the pitch, and he is absolutely is a. It's like it's one of those ones like you played with Scott Brown for a couple of years, but if you come up against him, it's like he doesn't know you type thing. If you know what I mean, but that's just how he is, and that's how he's been so consistent and so good for for so many years. And uh, yeah, now probably Scott Brown was always a joker. Charlie McGrew was always up there as well. So now you had a few sort of Ian McGeady had a few mad characters. That's for sure. Brilliant. Uh, who was the most technically gifted player? Uh, well, when I sort of burst on the scene, like Nakamura was the one that always stood out for me. He was he was just unbelievable. I remember I was watching him in games and just seeing him in training. And like Aiden was probably the best I seen with both feet. Aiden was just unbelievable. So he was, and the things that he could do with football was 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 unreal. Yeah. Um. What's the biggest halftime rant you saw? Uh, I that was every halftime round the Lenny, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I don't really remember too much off the top of my head, but now nah, Lenny was always the one that he just always used to. But I liked that Lenny was the type of boy like if, if he needed to rattle a changing room, he would rattle a changing room. And uh, now nah, Lenny was always the one that sort of always stood out for me, and and definitely like yeah, Lenny's sort of the main ones. If I'm being honest, I don't remember. One specific one, but Lenny definitely had a few, that's for sure. <laughs> Following on a similar theme, who would be the angriest player in that changing room? Uh, I remember we Willow Flood. He was just... Willow Flood. I was, he was only there briefly, but I remember him at Aberdeen as well. He was just, just a wee, like... Just a wee terrier. Him and Boy Robson used to knock the crap out of each other. Just hit each other, but they were sort of great friends off the park, and... Even at Aberdeen, both of them were the same. Like they used to call Barry Robson scabby elbows because everything was just elbows and training. Uh, Brownie was always sort of quite angry, but Brownie had it was angry in the sense of he wanted the best out of everyone. Uh, but now regarding angry, it was just Willow Flood was just always tenacious and used to call him wee Milo, the wee Milo, the wee dog, or the scrap, the mask, is it? Because he just used to always just sort of rat about. But now Willow Flood was a, an angry, angry man. That's for sure. Um, kind of similar to the, the best joker but is there a best prank you've ever witnessed maybe one you can actually air as well <laughs> I don't really know what to uh, I need to have a think about that one uh, would there be uh, anyone just like constantly doing pranks and, and trying to wind people up it was always Charlie and Paddy like Charlie and Paddy together were always the funny ones like they used to always Remember back in the day, they used to always like get the two phones together and just put the. So Paddy would phone somebody and Charlie would phone somebody, but Paddy would be sitting in the middle. So one person would answer the phone, 
and Paddy would sit in the middle once he answered phone. But Paddy would say hello, 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 and then like Charlie would have the other phone ready to go, and then uh, once they spoke, they'd be like hello, and then they'd be like, and then they would start talking to each other, and then like me, me and Paddy used to do it all the time in the Northern Ireland setup too, and it was just two random people phoning each other, and like, Charlie and Paddy were always behind that, but used to always phone just two random people, and once they got talking, it was just hilarious, and they'd say, no, you phone me, and no, you phone me, and what are you looking and stuff, but it just always turned into a normal conversation, even though neither of them phoned each other, if you know what I mean. <laughs> That's brilliant, and to finish on just about yourself, your time at Celtic, what is your, your favourite memory from your time being a Celtic player? Oh, just just loads of memories, making my debut, scoring my first goal, just just to play for Celtic was was incredible. Just every day turning up at training, and I remember one of the seasons. I know it's not a maybe a memory, but I remember one of the seasons at the end of one of the seasons, like being from back home, like Majim was on to me, my friends on to me, like oh, go and get me Celtic training gear. And I remember it must have been like Christmas, so I I filled up must have been about three black bin bags and brought home like a lot of the players would have left their stuff, like maybe Scott Brown his training gear, Sam Ross, like a load of these players left all their training gear, so. I packed a ring up and took a ring home, and I think the whole of Belfast was wearing Celtic gear at one stage. The whole of West Belfast. So uh, even to now, even my agent, who is a massive Celtic fan, who, who obviously still is, and he still runs about in some of my training gear from from back then with the number fourteen on it. So uh, now uh, memories, as I said earlier, just scoring my first goal, making my debut, and uh, now just even playing in Europe for Celtic as well. So. Now, I achieved sort of a lot in that small stint of sort of just different honours and one to one wanted to do. And the break in the team was good. I think I've played maybe around 36 odd times and scored six goals or whatever. So, uh, no, I, I definitely lived the dream. Brilliant, Niall. It's been brilliant to, to sit and listen to some of those memories again and get some good stories. So, thank you so much for taking out the time and, um, and all the best with the rest of your playing career. No worries. Thanks a million. Thank you.